0: Good morning, Maplecrest. My name is Cyrus Dirksen. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here. And today I'm going to be talking about relationships as motivation. And to start, I want to give a PG warning for this morning. You wouldn't think that relationships and motivation would create a PG warning on a Monday. But I'm going to have some humor that is potentially a little bit questionable, and I just want to be extra safe and make sure that everybody's okay. For those of you who are listening online, please don't skip ahead to see what the pastor said. Please listen until you get there. Maybe it'll keep you paying attention just to know what is he gonna say. It was another day at Campus Cinnaboya, full of the sounds of lawnmowers, rustling leaves, and the ever-present mosquitoes. Something Campus Cinnaboya had more than most I was tired and excited. It was the first day of the week, Sunday, summer camp, Sunday night. There were a long line of families standing outside the lodge waiting to come in, and I was walking up to the lodge with my staff shirt, with my name tag, and bare feet. Fashion was simple at camp. I was nervous. Excited but nervous. We were all nervous, at least the people who had done this before. It wasn't the greeting, and it wasn't the evening, it was the night. All of Sunday was a build-up to the first night at camp. The kids would come, we'd get them settled, and then we'd do field games designed to get the kids tired. We'd have snack to make sure... That they didn't have any complaints about being hungry. Then we'd do the devotional, and the devotional was, of course, about God. But it was also designed to be a time of relaxation to get the kids in the mood for sleep. And then I would pull out my own personal secret weapon at camp the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And I would read that book as long as I dared. It was the perfect book for this it had a it was interesting enough to keep their attention but it had a slow pace to it to lull them closer and closer to sleep and then when I could take it no more I would stop reading those were some of the most anxious moments of the summer I would lay there and listen, wondering how the kids would react. Would they fall asleep? What if they didn't? What would I do? There were multiple options. The old timers at camp would speak of a horrible legend. Mosquito patrol. Vicious. If children didn't fall asleep, We would put them outside in their underwear. Nowadays, things were more lenient, gentle, leaving us with fewer options talking to the children. Getting the nurse for the classic homesickness pill, also known as a peppermint tic-tac. I remember giving one of those to one kid and they said, It's Minty! (laughs) (laughs) Talking to the director, and worst case scenario, calling the parents. So I would lie there in my bunk, and the kids would be lying in theirs, and I would be waiting, wondering, focusing on each sound, not even close to being asleep. The ultimate test for ADHD silent boredom. The first step that I would implement in my strategy was the shh. But it was difficult to know when to implement the shh. I would hear a sound and my mind would race. Was it on purpose? I would dissect the sound. Was it reasonable? I wouldn't want to waste a shh on a sound that was reasonable. What if it was just an innocent readjustment? If I overused the shh, it would lose its power, and I would have to go to step two. Quiet. (laughs) And then, what if that didn't work? I would be losing my power. Would I be up all night? I might lose complete control. It had happened before. The first night was often the beginning of a good week or the beginning of the end. (laughs) I didn't realize until later why the first night was so challenging. I believe it was because I only had a couple of hours to build one of the most important motivators there is, relationship. Those kids didn't know me. We're doing a series on motivation. And up until now, I've been talking about more extrinsic motivators, rewards, punishment, giving cookies and taking cookies away. I want to move today from extrinsic motivators to intrinsic motivators. This means being motivated because of something that is naturally part of yourself Something intangible, something more nebulous Hard to describe and generally inside of yourself And because of all those things, it was something that I didn't come to appreciate Until much later in my counseling career I'm going to give you some examples of extrinsic motivation Again, this is just for the cookie So an employee this would be an extrinsic motivating relationship. I do the work and I get the money. A politician, I get a vote and I give you a law. Your relationship with amazon.com. I give you money, you send me a product at a cheap price. I put in their Walmart initially, and then I was like, that's not true anymore, is it? It's Amazon now. A more intrinsic relationship is when the rewards are more internal and difficult to describe, like a romantic relationship. Volunteering. Why do you volunteer? There are still rewards, but they are internal ones. And then there's the gray zone, which is where most things fall. This is like if you're working at a place, but you enjoy your job. So you're getting extrinsic motivators, money, but you also enjoy it. Or, shall I say it? Marrying somebody rich, you have that extrinsic motivator, but you also have something internal. This is why it can be so challenging to become powerful or wealthy. This was a progression that I was making as a counselor. In the early part of my career as a counselor, I was focused on extrinsic motivators. If you remember from a talk I did a while ago, I talked on punishment as a motivator. And punishment was something that was easier for me to understand as a counselor. And I used it with passion. I became a strict dictator. The best punishment is the strongest punishment immediately. That's what the research said. But unfortunately, as I punished the children, disciplined them, eventually it turned into all... Complete, outright rebellion. And I would have scared and obedient children for one or two days. And then I would have the worst week imaginable, as they devised ways of making my life horrible, because they hated me. I needed to find something more. And this was intrinsic motivation. I'm going to give you a biblical example of an intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation motivation and because we're maple crest i'll talk about the prophetic in amos 3 7 it says for the lord god does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants the prophets so he reveals everything everything's revealed to somebody but what i find so interesting about that is that just because he reveals it to the prophets doesn't mean that the prophets reveal it to anybody else Now you might be thinking, I'm saying, the prophet should get a website, the prophet should start a Twitter account. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe that is something that should happen. But some of the time, the Lord reveals a secret to a prophet or prophetic person or a person. And they are told explicitly not to reveal it to anybody. And that I find very interesting and confusing very confusing for me a very practical person why would he do that and this isn't something that's just talked about by prophetic people where it's like oh are you sure you should share that because that is something that is generally talked about in the prophetic circles particularly around negative things but this is actually something that is very prevalent in the bible and i'll give you a few examples second corinthians 12 3 to 4 and i know that this man was caught up into paradise Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He revealed it to his prophet, but his prophet did not talk about it with us. and said, for whatever reason, that he couldn't. Maybe because it was too hard to describe. Maybe because he was told not to. I'll give you another example. Daniel, another major prophetic voice in the Bible. Daniel 12:4 But you, Daniel, shut up. <laughs> I'll read the rest. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. That same chapter, chapter 12, verse 9 says it again. He said, "Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed." until the time of the end. It's a secret. And we don't even know what that is. Isn't that annoying? We know there's pieces that we could know that we can't know, that we don't know. Revelation 10. Potentially the most profound prophetic piece in the Bible. Revelation 10.4. And when the seven thunders had sounded... I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the seven thunder Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And that's the end of it. We know that there's seven thunders, but we don't know what they said. All we know is that there's things that we don't know. No matter how good you are at interpreting the Bible, you don't have the stuff to interpret. It's not a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of God not wanting to tell us or wanting to tell one person and not the rest of us. So, like I said, this is so intriguing to me because I'm a very practical person, generally speaking. And I want to understand why would you say something to someone just to tell them not to tell anybody? What's the point? Why would God want a secret with a prophetic person? Particularly, some of these big ones like daniel and john the ones that they're receiving you could argue potentially that he's trying to make a point and saying like i'm not telling you everything so don't try to believe that you know everything and i think that's a valid point particularly for some of these that are in the bible but i believe it's actually not just about that i actually think it's about relationship you could argue also that this is about prayer about intercession but it's an assignment for that prophetic person to know and do something in the spirit. And I believe that is obviously the case in, in the Bible even and in people's lives. That it's something that was given for that person to intercede. And we have examples of it. In Genesis 18.23, Abraham is told that Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. Now, to us, it's not a secret. But Sodom and Gomorrah were not told about this. So we get a little inside glimpse into a secret prophetic discussion it's just for the prophet generally speaking it's not for the people who are most important to this story which is sodom and gomorrah i mean if you think about the you know, consequences i would think that they would be the people most interested in this information and they're not told only abraham maybe abraham told a friend i don't know i'll read a piece of it a couple pieces in verse 23 this is genesis 18 23 then abraham drew near and said Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? And this argument goes on. Please spare the city. And God agrees and relents. So this is intercession. It's intercession. I don't understand it. I don't understand it in the sense that I believe strongly that God doesn't need Abraham's wisdom. Was Abraham so moral and wise that God is actually asking him these questions? But he relents. He actually listens to Abraham. In the end, For the sake of ten I will not destroy them. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to abraham and abraham returned to his place did god need abraham's prayers i believe the answer is no so if he didn't need abraham to intercede why did he have this whole discussion with abraham i think it's about relationship he wants to interact with abraham if God gives you a secret prophecy, even if it is to pray about or even if it's not to pray about, it's actually about your relationship with him. And I think when he was telling Paul, you know, what the seven thunders are saying, I don't think Paul, I mean, this is a personal opinion, you know, quiet voice, but like, I don't think that Paul was going to be the guy who was going to change the end of human history. I just, I just don't think that. Maybe... But I think he was just telling him. That's my opinion. Maybe I'll find out differently. It doesn't really matter because either way, he doesn't need Paul to do it. So even if it is just for intercession, it's just about relationship because he doesn't need our intercession. He wants our intercession. He wants us to talk to him about it. Partner with me. Be with me as I think about this. I believe that most people, when they're entering into the prophetic, move from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic motivation. Now, that's not a rule. You don't have to. You can skip right to whatever you want. But I think it's generally a rule that people move from extrinsic to intrinsic. So what do I mean by that? I mean that when people are extrinsically motivated and attracted to the prophetic, they're attracted by the power, potentially even kind of in a not so good way but it is good to have the power god wants us to have that power it's to love people so we're attracted to the power potentially the prophetic touches you and you're like i want to do this for other people and so that's great it's extrinsic i get a cookie you know you get the wide eyes you get the thank you so much that was right on you get the person coming to the lord you get lots of cookies that's why i like the spirit room we have cookies at the spirit room but i believe that as you move into the prophetic and i am tempted to say the deeper parts of the prophetic i don't know why i just want to say it that way even though you don't have to choose between your heart and your liver they're both important i do believe that it is potentially i'll say it deeper as you move in to move to the intrinsic motivations for the prophetic And I actually believe that the secret prophetic world between you and the Lord is actually the primary majority of the prophetic. If you're just going in to touch somebody's life, like, that's amazing. I don't want to diminish that at all. Other than to say how amazing it is to walk into the prophetic and know the Lord in a way that maybe nobody else will ever understand or even know about. The more prophetic words that i receive in my life the more the greater proportion of them are for nobody but myself and that is very hard on me (laughs) it's very hard on me it is excruciating because i'm a very practical person and i like to give cookies and i like to get cookies and this whole just relationship thing is like second nature to me even though I'm a psychologist and the primary healing factor is relationship, it was something that came second to me. I am second. And I actually believe that right now and for some time, I've actually been under the discipline of the Lord. Ooh, I didn't think I'd feel this. I'm feeling it. And it's because it's because I didn't keep his secret I'm a psychologist I'm supposed to be good at keeping secrets (laughs) I could keep people's secrets very easily and I couldn't keep the Lord's he gave me secrets and I, I had the discernment to know that they were secrets and I wiggled and I squirmed and I made excuses and I said oh you know and then it stopped And that's because the Lord loves me. And he doesn't want to let me get away with something that's going to take me away from his heart. He wants me to understand this. And he wants me to understand it well. It didn't stop in a complete way. It's just there was something. I don't want to get into it because to keep the secrets. (laughs) I was so tempted. (laughs) I was like, well... I'm helping people, Lord, right? Like, can't I tell my story, you know, even if it's humiliating or whatever? And it's helpful for people to be vulnerable, right? And it's like, no, to keep this secret. So I'm not saying I don't hear from the Lord. In fact, I do. And it's still significant. But anyway, I'll move on before something slips. Relationship. Where was I? So keep the Lord's secrets. Relationship leads to holiness. So I was describing how in the prophetic we can move from an intrinsic or an extrinsic motivation to an intrinsic motivation. We can move into just a, a greater just relationship with the Lord where we're not with him because he's giving us payment, but because we're, we're with him because it just is something inside of us that just is enjoying it, that's, that's in sync with it. And as we move into greater relationship with the Lord, we get motivated. We get motivated because relationship leads to motivation. I'm going to read you a passage that I find so interesting. In John 14:23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Oh, I didn't even think about it. That could be the secret prophetic world I'm talking about. Make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay, so if you notice here when you read this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He's almost making them synonyms. To love the Lord is to obey him they're almost synonyms if you read the bible now and you read anywhere love the lord you can basically replace it with obey the lord and anywhere you hear obey the lord you can basically read that as love i don't think that they're the same thing i think that they're different angles on a similar thing i think that they're so connected and i believe that they're so connected because if you love the lord with all of your heart you will be embodying a supreme motivation to be holy because relationship is motivating it's the most powerful motivator we have you will be so motivated that you will be holy I think that you can kind of facsimile some holiness without love I don't even know what the Lord would call that I don't even know if that would be holiness at all because part of holiness is love so if you go and fake it I don't know what God's going to say to you say to us You may be able to obey in some sense without love, to some extent. But part of his law is to love. And it takes supernatural power to love the way God wants us to. It takes supernatural power to obey the way that God wants us to. You don't have to choose. If you go deeper into his heart, if you really are going deeper into his heart, motivation to become holy will spring up inside of you. And we see it when we look at relationships. When we research relationships, we see a connection. It's not just with God. One of the most famous instances of observational learning in animals involves the blue tit. Wait, what did he say? (laughs) a small European bird. (laughs) I told you it was PG. (laughs) I told Natasha about the blue tit, and I was surprised when she had the courage to nervously type blue tit into Google, (laughs) which I'm sure many people online are doing right now. She was relieved to find that only birds showed up. (laughs) In the 1920s, for 20 years, 1920s to the 1940s, Many people reported that the cream from the top of their milk cans was disappearing. This was going and spreading all over Britain, creating all kinds of speculation about why, who was the cream thief? Who was the cream thief? Well, it seems that one day, one blue tit figured out how to peck through the foil on the top of a milk jug and sucked off the cream. And it also seems that blue tits are good at observational learning. And the trend grew. The blue tits (laughs) learned from other blue tits. (laughs) And it became a milk cream pandemic. (laughs) And it took a long time, decades, for them to figure out what was happening but it was happening all across britain observational learning <laughs> natasha then when she saw the blue tit online she said yeah it's blue but it has a yellow breast <laughs> <laughs> should be a yellow tit anyway but, uh. <laughs> oh man <laughs> After the after I told the story, he's like, "What were you even talking about? All I remember <laughs> is blue <Bluetooth."> tip. <laughs> Observational learning—they learn from each other about the milk jugs. Okay. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh, I'm s- you still love me? I was thinking about offense after I was thinking about this, and I was like, "Oh man, what if people are easily offended?" And I was like, "If people..." If you're worried about offending people when you're writing a sermon, you maybe need to rewrite your sermon. <laughs> Christianity is offensive. Whew, anyway. Glad we're here. Yes. Amen. Ooh, I like the interaction. This is fun. Okay. So uh, what are the factors? Now, they found this in kids too. There's a Bobo doll experiment. I played with the idea of showing you kids beating up clowns that are you know those inflated clowns that bounce back anyway they, they did these bobo clown experiments where they showed kids you know beating up bobo clowns and then these kids beat up bobo clowns and so it became a very famous experiment called the bobo clown experiments and they learned things through these and one of them was that behaviors observed from people who are warm and nurturing towards the observer are more imitated so If you have a nurturing relationship with a child and you go and hit the Bobo doll, they are much more likely to hit the Bobo doll themselves. Children learn from nurturing people in their lives. They're more likely to copy them. They're more likely to copy them. I'll give you another piece of research which is even more important, I think, for Christianity. I'm very interested in how do we pass on Christian values to children. And there's a lot to say about that. I'm going to leave most of it for another day. Probably Father's Day. The factors that lead to value consensus, which is the way they describe it, how do you get a child to have the same values that you have? And they found that for children who had value consensus, they had parents who had high nurturance and high communication styles. They had loving parents. Particularly fathers. Colossians 3:21 Fathers don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. It isn't just with our relationship with God that if we are in love, we will be motivated to obey. Children who have loving, nurturing relationships with the people around them are more likely to imitate them, too. Back to campus in Aboya. There was one week. It was a one glorious week when everything I had learned about motivation finally came together. The kids behaved wonderfully. It was my crowning achievement and my time as a counselor but I didn't understand the most important factor until that last week. There were many factors that I had learned that contributed to that good week, but the last one was definitely the most important. I actually enjoyed the children. You'd think this would be obvious. I was going to camp to work with kids. Looking back, I'd always considered the kids important But to tell you the truth I was probably more focused on my relationship with other counselors. Kids were a necessary part of the equation. I was more focused on surviving and on finding that one hour during the day when they actually let us talk to other people and spending time with the other people there. That's what actually got me into camping. Those other people. But for that one week It was amazing. I was getting older and the other counselors were getting younger. And I hadn't been there for a whole summer. I had just been there for a couple weeks. So I didn't know people as well as I normally did. And it was the perfect week. And it was a week that I was focused on the kids and enjoying my time with them. I wasn't afraid anymore. Unfortunately, that perfect week was also my last week. Which to me makes some sense. God put me in a place where I had a lot of things to learn and he kept me there until I knew them. I remember one director saying that counsellors often left camp at the height of their ability. Once they were actually effective. And that was very true for me. I hadn't planned it that way. But I learned everything I had gone there to learn. The most powerful motivator was definitely relationship. Once I enjoyed those kids, there were small things that came up where I had to use cookies, but that was definitely not the focus. They wanted to make me happy, and they started doing the things that I did. And I didn't just want to be with them to make sure that they didn't get in my way. I just wanted to be with them, and I looked for time to be with them more. At camp, I was scared of those kids because I didn't have a relationship. On that night when I was evaluating every sound in the bunk, I was terrified. And I wasn't thinking about their time at camp. And I wasn't thinking about how much I liked them. Once I did, it was a totally different experience. The power of relationship is so evident that perfect love is considered equivalent a synonym with perfect obedience. Lovers outwork workers every time. And the way we get there is that we need to move deeper into God. We don't need to choose between seeking his power and seeking his heart. But normally, I do find that people move from seeking his power to seeking his heart. To a more personal relationship with God, where you can enjoy Him, not because He gives you stuff, but because He's just so amazing. One sign of this process, one sign, is having a secret relationship with God. Because if you're just seeking power, a secret relationship makes no sense. If you're just trying to show off, and I'm pointing to myself, a secret relationship with God makes no sense. A relationship based on synchronicity, an alignment of identity, mutual enjoyment. We just fit together. A deep relationship. And once you're there with him in that secret place and you're there just because you want to be there, not because anybody's looking, you'll find more and more that you get motivated to become like him. That motivation will just spring up. There's no other way. And this is because we were designed to imitate a nurturing father. And we see that in the research. God made us with a heart that was designed specifically to imitate a nurturing father and that is exactly what he is and that's why it's so powerful when we don't focus as much even though it's there and it's perfectly loving when we don't focus as much on his harsh discipline or times when he's unhappy but when we focus on his nurturing all of a sudden it springs up in people it's like oh i want to be like him i want to obey him i don't think we should not talk about his discipline because that's a part of who he is He gives cookies and he takes cookies away. Does it in my life. And he does it because he loves us. But it's when we feel that nurturing father heart. That's the main, the plane of who God is. And that's what gives us the strongest motivation to be like him. Jesus, I just pray that you would empower Maple Crest. To see you as a nurturing father. I believe that you can supernaturally come and help us to see you that way. No matter what we've experienced. That if we can see you through your power as a nurturing father, it changes everything. We're not afraid, but we're here, Lord, to enjoy you and help us to enjoy you this morning. Amen.